Season 3 of Clearly Unfiltered. It's great to have you all here. As I said in the preview of the season, this is probably the most inconsistent podcast you've ever listened to, but I'm hoping to be a little bit more consistent this season. For those of you who have been following on Instagram and also are regular listeners to the podcast, I said in my intro that I had seven dedicated listeners. That's not... uh, Completely true, there are more of you than that, and I'm grateful for each of you. But um, if you haven't heard, I wanted to share just the idea behind Season 3, which is very simply, I reached out a number of months ago to folk who are interested in hearing my view on certain things, and I asked them to send me questions, anonymous or not. Um, And so this season will be me diving into the issues that I'm really passionate about, and sharing my unfiltered views on those things. This might very well be unsolicited views too, but I do hope that you enjoy the ride. Today's episode is called Reimagining Education, and if you know me, you will know that I'm passionate about the subject. And the question I got was from my friend Nina, who featured in a previous episode. Um, In fact, it was a three-parter on parenting neurodiverse kids, and Yeah, it's just such an encouraging conversation. I would encourage you to um, go back to season two and listen to that. But Nina's question was quite complex. It was around reimagining education and was based on this premise. She said to me, I would love to hear you share your thoughts on what refreshed education might look like from the perspective and learning of your current day job combined with your experience of parenting a neurodiverse child. So... Before we jump right into the question, I just want to set some context. 20 of my 27 years of working life have been in the education sector, 16 of those as a teacher and leader in various high schools in South Africa and for a very short period in the UK. For the last four and a half years, however, I've been working for a global educational nonprofit, and one of my main roles is to support the growth and development of teachers and leaders in schools around the world, which is a role that gives me a privileged insight into what some of the best schools around the world are doing. I'm also the parent of two kids who have been through the school system and already, and one of my kids is starting high school, so I have three kids. I also want to just put in a couple of caveats as well. You know, education is maybe not as controversial as politics and religion, but it can polarize people. And I think many people have strong opinions about things or about how education should be, and I'm no different. I also have strong opinions, and I'm also aware that many who listen to this might disagree with how I see school and education, and so I'd I'd invite those of you who end up listening to this entire episode to consider my thoughts and then come to your own conclusions. This isn't about me saying this is how we should do school. These are just some of my insights. Because having a strong opinion doesn't make me an expert, but I am passionate about schools being spaces that generate hope in and for kids and enable thriving in the best possible way. I must also say that two of the kids that I mentioned earlier have thrived in a traditional school environment, not without some very real challenges, um, but both of them have had some incredible teachers who have helped them to lean into their strengths, discover their unique talents, 
and build an incredible foundation on which to build a future that I believe is going to be filled with meaning, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. However, I also have one child, my younger child, for whom the traditional school system has been detrimental in so many ways. So the lens through which I share some of what I share today is, is that experience. It's, it has colored my experience of school in a certain way. Um, and also, because I've been in the education space, I've been a teacher, um, a parent of some of, of, of people who go to school, um, you know, all of those things conspire together to... Um, give a view, um, and this is the view that I share. Nina's question starts with a statement. She says, I am meeting dozens of parents concerned about their kids at school, some neurodiverse and some neurotypical kids. Kids are not thriving. It really feels to me that school needs to be reconceived. And so, Nina, I wholeheartedly agree with you on this. I think school does need to be reimagined. It needs to be reimagined for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which is the fact that our world is changing and our children are really feeling the impact of that change. So we cannot underestimate the impact COVID had on the collective psyche of the world, even though we feel like it was years ago. In many ways, the instances of how this has unearthed things in our kids that might have being hidden before is is really bubbling to the surface. In our own experience, that is true. One of the catalysts to discovering our own child's neurodiversity was the impact of COVID um, and being at home and the difference between her at home and at school. So I think in the return from COVID, too many schools, in my opinion, have simply gone back to pre-COVID normality and maybe ramped it up instead of counting the real cost and creating avenues for kids to recover from that time. The principal of Bella Vista School in Johannesburg, South Africa, Alison Scott, shares powerfully about the need for a recovery curriculum in the school. And, and I want to highlight just briefly some of the things she mentions. She highlights the five losses that people suffered or kids suffered during COVID. There was a loss of routine. There was a loss of structure. I think very important to loss of friendship and opportunity and a sense of freedom. You know, having that restricted at a very young age is, is really, really hard. And so those are the five losses. And many of us are still mourning those and, and many kids are still mourning those or processing those. She then talks about the four consequences of this, which she defines, she says, all of those are forms of, of trauma. There was bereavement on many levels, um, not just for folk who lost people, but, you know, I think the loss of those Five things in many of our kids, there's a sense of, of bereavement. Lockdown caused anxiety and it caused attachment issues. Um, and then just generalized trauma. So you have these consequences of COVID. And then she talks about the five levers that we have to change that in school spaces. And I mention this now because I think it's very important in how we think about school moving forward that we that we consider these levers. And, and these are relationships and community. Those are two of the levers, and I think they're closely connected. But the importance of relationship, of connection, of community. Then also metacognition, you know, helping kids understand how they learn and why they might feel a little bit behind in their learning because of the impact of COVID. And, and, and helping them to think through how they might jump over those barriers and hurdles that they possibly, possibly face. 
And then also for schools, she, she says schools should have a transparent curriculum. We should, we should be able to tell children and parents as well, like where we're going and why we might not be doing things at the same pace as we were ages ago if we're doing a recovery curriculum, that we might go slower in order in the end to go faster. And then most important for me is we need to create a space in schools for kids to rediscover themselves at school and to reignite the flame of learning. Uh, And those things cannot happen, I think, if you just go back to normal, if you just go back to the busyness of school life. And so I mentioned that up front because I think we're sitting in this unique space after COVID where we want to carry on as normal, but... COVID has had a profound effect on the way that we engage with or students or kids engage with school. But also we need to consider how the world is changing and we can't ignore the key trends that are said to be impacting our world at this stage. And they should be at the forefront, I think, of our reimagining of education. You know, UNESCO highlights the rapid development of new technologies is key, and I think it is. The advent of artificial intelligence um, is changing the way we live, work, and learn. And I, I think all of these emerging technologies are forcing us to adapt our educational needs um, in order to prepare learners for the jobs of the future. Now, you know, this narrative of we're preparing kids for jobs that don't exist yet, I think that's always been the case. But I I do think the rapid change at the moment is forcing us to think very carefully about what these technologies mean and what their impact is on education. The other thing that UNESCO says is a key trend in the world, and I believe this impacts the way we educate, is the spread of fake news and disinformation. It's a major challenge to democracy. Um, It's a major challenge to education. And I think... One of the things that that says to us is that we need to be able to help kids, even younger kids, to critically evaluate information and to be discerning consumers of news and media um, and to be able to evaluate what is true and what is bogus. The uh, UNESCO also highlights that the nature of work is changing. I alluded to that earlier. Uh, many jobs being automated and outsourced. Um, and I think education needs to prepare learners for the jobs of the future, which will require new skills and knowledge. And I'll be talking about developing an entrepreneurial mindset later because I think that's the key. Uh, you know, not all kids are going to be business people, but to think entrepreneurially is to embrace creativity and innovation and discomfort and to be adaptable, those kinds of things. Those are the things that our kids are going to need. UNESCO also says that the traditional model of education, which is based on linear progression from primary school through to high school and through to university, is no longer adequate. And they are saying that education is going to need to be more flexible, it's going to need to be more adaptable to the needs of learners uh, throughout their lives. And then the, another challenge related to education is that it's currently not equally accessible to all. And that's a major obstacle to sustainable development. Education needs to be more inclusive and we need to create opportunities, equitable opportunities to ensure that all learners have the opportunity to reach their full potential. And at the moment, that currently often relies on who has resources and and and. Uh, Opposite to that, who doesn't have resources, and those who don't have often fall by the wayside in terms of education. So that's a lot that I've shared by way of introduction. (laughs) You know, I haven't even answered the question yet, and 
the question that Nina asks is long and multi-layered, which I really like, but it's also a cracker of a question. So I've decided to split the question into two parts and then rather than give definitive answers, and that might seem like a cop-out, but it isn't because I don't know it all, but I do want to share some principles that I believe should guide us as we rethink education. So Nina asks this, she says, if you were invited to be part of a committee that was funded to create a new kind of school, all the way from primary school through to the final year of high school, what are some of the things you would include in the curriculum? What would a school day look like? What training would staff need to have? What would the goals look like for staff and pupils? And how would success be measured? And how can we bring a little of what I might conceive as a new school into the present? So that's, that's like... That's a deep question and a hard question, and I'm not putting myself forward as an expert in this um, realm, but I want to share five guiding lights, five principles that I've picked up from some of the best educators and school leaders globally, and I hope that these will help you think through this whole idea of what education for the future might look like. And for those of you who are deciding what your child's educational journey looks like, maybe some of these things will help you decide what school is right and best for your child. And I do want to say that those of you who have that privilege of deciding which school is good for your child or not, like that is something to be grateful for because there are very many people in the world who do not have that decision. I must say up front that learning is obviously the key deliverable in schools. I mean, let's face it, that's what schools are for, really. And while I believe that there needs to be systemic change so that school is not simply an academic pipeline from, you know, grade school or kindergarten right through to university, that is what school is in many parts of the world. And it's important to keep in mind as I highlight the principles that I'm going to share that because schools are so often judged on the ability to create university-ready kids on paper, and because they're judged it way, this way, it, it would be disingenuous of me to say, well, let's just throw out everything, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Bath uh, and it would be disingenuous for me to say that academic excellence isn't important because it is. But I also think that the guiding lights I'm about to share are valuable and they can help us imagine what schools might aspire to be. And and also, there are many schools that are doing this already. And for many schools, this isn't rocket science. The most important thing for me, and what has become most important for me about school spaces, um, in recent years, probably in the last five to seven years, this has become something for me that is of primary importance, and that is the power of belonging. You see, research, and this is the first guiding principle, the first guiding light, Research increasingly shows that a child's sense of belonging in school relates to their growth and achievement, relates positively to their growth and achievement. And so when I evaluate a school, I often prioritize where the students genuinely feel like they belong and not just that they're fitting in. Kids shouldn't feel that they need to assimilate to be ac accepted. And, and Brene Brown captures this distinction wonderfully, the distinction between belonging and fitting in brilliantly. And I want to share a clip from a CBS News interview because she says it better than I can say it. Yeah, and it, it, the research took me by surprise. I thought belonging is something we negotiate externally with groups of people. I want to belong with this. But as it turns out, men and women who have the deepest sense of true belonging are people who also have the courage to stand alone when called to do that. They are willing to maintain their integrity and risk 
disconnection in order to stand up for what they believe in. Are there no circumstances in which you would want to change who you are? No. And you know what was crazy for me is guess what emerged as the greatest barrier to belonging? Fitting in. Yeah. Because when we fit in, we assess a situation and we acclimate. When we belong, we bring ourselves to it and say, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And so real belonging requires us to be authentically ourselves and very difficult in this polarized environment. Right? Growth is a part of everyone's life. But growth is yeah. a part of everyone. And so it's not about not ever changing who you are. It's about changing to be accepted. John Guller, the executive director of the E.E. E. Ford Foundation in the USA, collaborated with Kevin Graham and Steve Pilch on a study that aimed to measure the connection between community and belonging, and another, a number of other components of school life as well. And one of their key findings is that nurturing curiosity, developing passions, and heightening engagement leads to good outcomes. And these three goals correlate highly, they say, with a student's sense of belonging, and also then their ability to effectively manage time and levels of stress and the confidence to face challenges. And so, you know, as I read research like that and other research, I've come to know or understand that belonging in schools is vital. As more students feel safe to express their gender identity, sexual preferences, or embrace their neurodiversity instead of hiding it, and as schools become more racially diverse places, our concept of belonging I believe needs to evolve. If we simply provide a box and expect everyone to fit into it, we're not fostering genuine belonging. And so while it might appear from the outside that a school is cohesive, there are definitely individuals in many schools that are just blending in to get by. And, and that's not what a safe or brave space is. And I believe that teachers play such a pivotal role in creating the sense of belonging. And one quote that deeply impacted me and continues to impact me as a teacher uh, is adapted from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. And it's this, she says this, teachers are some of the most important leaders. We know that we can't always ask our students to take off their armor at home or even on their way to school because their emotional and physical safety might require self-protection. But what we can do and what we are ethically called to do as teachers is to create a space in our schools and classrooms where all students can walk in and for that day or hour take off the crushing weight of their armor, hang it on a rack and open their heart to truly being seen. Teachers are the guardians of spaces that allow students to breathe and be curious and explore the world and be who they are without suffocation. Students deserve one place where they can rumble with vulnerability and their hearts can exhale. And what I know from the research, she says, is this, is that we should never underestimate the benefit to a child of having a place to belong, even one where they can take off their armor. It can and often does change the trajectory of their life. And so if I were to have one guiding light, one principle that schools should strive for and that people should look for in schools, it's that one. Is this a place where everyone, no matter who they are and how they identify and how they engage with the world, where everyone belongs? Closely linked to that, I think, are the next two. The first one is of those is responding to failure. And failure is a tough word for me because in many ways it sounds final. Like if you can't do something, you should just give up. And I think schools should view failure as a chance for growth. 
So instead of seeing it as a full stop, it should be an opportunity to grow. And schools should teach kids that embracing failure is important, that learning is about trying, reflecting on one's results, and figuring out how to improve. For instance, you know, I always wonder why schools only give students one shot at a test or, or an assignment, or the fact that one exam often defines the bulk of a whole year's work. And I think that schools should help students see that they're not just a test score, that their worth is not connected to what they achieve on a test. And also everyone should have the chance to understand their mistakes and process those and work towards improving and work towards improving in a way that is tailored to their individual needs. So I believe our response to failure and the way we talk about failure is really, really important in empowering kids to step beyond what they find difficult. And another key principle that connects really closely to that and something that is reflected in Nina's question is redefining the traditional idea of success in schools. So instead of just focusing on typical achievements, I believe we should instill a, a sense of purpose in kids, a broader understanding of what it means to be successful. You see, some schools do an excellent job of recognizing various forms of success. So I'm not pointing fingers here, but historically schools have measured success by academic performance, sports achievements, or cultural excellence, although I would argue that that final one has often in many schools been less important than the first two. But we've got to acknowledge that today's students are far more diverse and not everyone fits the traditional mold. You know, it's evident to see who schools um, or how schools see success um, by seeing what is celebrated in public spaces. You know, who gets awards, who's mentioned in assemblies, who's highlighted on school social media. And so as we look to the future of schooling, of education, success shouldn't, I believe, just be about meeting specific benchmarks. It's about finding purpose and it's about making a difference in the world. And we need to ask if schools can redefine success, celebrating all the unique paths students take. It's not just about the academic achievers or the athletes. It's also about the social activists, the gamers, and those who think differently. We shouldn't tell kids they're only successful if they excel in traditional areas or if they're extraordinary. You know, as Brene Brown notes, most of us are ordinary, and it's unfair to set extraordinary as the standard. Schools should embrace each student's uniqueness and encourage them to be themselves rather than, than fitting into a predefined box. Then I get to something that I think is really, really important. This could be a podcast all on its own. But I really believe that one of the principles schools should strive for is entrepreneurial thinking. While a solid knowledge-based curriculum is crucial, particularly considering the uncertain future of work, we also need to realize that it's vital that we focus on nurturing other skills. This includes fostering a genuine curiosity and love for learning. We need to teach students to take initiative and ensure that they can adapt to changing situations. We need to help them understand that persistence is key in overcoming challenges. And also that leadership qualities are essential. Also, as important is understanding diverse social and cultural perspectives. And we can't forget the importance of both physical and mental well-being in our students' overall development. So there's a sense that entrepreneurial thinking goes beyond just 
being academically proficient or achieving academically. It's about can I leave school and think critically about the world around me and persist and push and find my niche and give all that I have into a situation, that there's a space for me to make a difference. And and particularly with the future of work so limited, um, often our kids are going to have to make their own way. They're going to have to find where they can add the most value. And I think schools need to develop that entrepreneurial thinking. And then the final principle that's really, really important for me is that the culture of the organization is paramount. For me, culture is everything. And I think the point that I mentioned first, the whole idea of belonging rests on the culture that is created and in school spaces by the adults in the room. And I believe that schools should work hard on creating and modeling cultures of collaboration, growth, research, kindness, empathy, and community. And those are some of those levers as well that, that Alison Scott, that I referred to Alison Scott speaking about earlier uh, in the episode. You see, schools that champion collaboration teach both students and teachers the power of teamwork. Together, they learn that pooling diverse ideas often leads to richer solutions. It's more than just group activities. It's about instilling mutual respect and open communication between students and educators and educators and educators and students and students. Also in a growth-centric culture, and so growth needs to be something that becomes part of our culture at schools. Both students and teachers celebrate progress over perfection. Such an important thing. Progress, the progress, the, the one step in front of the other is important. They need to understand that making mistakes is part of the learning journey. And this approach, I believe, encourages everyone to continually stretch their abilities and embrace challenges. I also believe that schools that em- emphasize research foster a thirst for knowledge in both students and teachers. They are encouraged to be curious, teachers and students. They are encouraged to seek out information there encouraged to base their conclusions on solid evidence. And this foundation supports lifelong learning and critical thinking for all. So important. Emphasizing kindness and empathy is so important too. And by emphasizing these things, schools ensure that both students and teachers create an atmosphere where everyone feels valued. You know, a kind gesture, a word of encouragement. These actions ripple through communities and make everyone feel included. And teaching empathy goes beyond that. It helps students and teachers alike to truly understand and share each other's experiences and unique views on the world. It promotes deeper connections and fosters patience and helps in building more supportive relationships. And connected to those these things too, tight-knit communities are important. You know, uh, creating a, these spaces where students, teachers, um, other staff, um, parents all feel interconnected is is so important. And I think a lot of this rests on leadership teams of schools. Leadership teams need to promote these kind of cultures and embody the values that come out of this these cultures that where everyone feels part of what is happening. And they set the tone for the entire school. And it's it's essential that students, that teachers see these principles in action, you know, reinforcing that they aren't just theoretical ideas but they are meant to be lived out daily. The second part of Nina's question also highlights another important principle, and I'm almost done here, but I think this is important. As caregivers and parents, we play a key role in making good decisions about the education of our kids. Nina wonders what questions we can ask ourselves when engaging with an educational setting to help us determine its suitability for kids, or for our kids in particular. 
And so I believe there are many important questions and, and people will have varying views on what's right to ask. But these are the ones that I would ask. And I'm just going to go through them quickly. Will my child be known and loved? Will this be a safe space for my child to discover their true self? Does this school have a broader definition of what constitutes success than academic excellence and sporting or cultural achievement? Very important for me, does the school have a dedicated learning support team? And that includes psychologists and mental health specialists who know how to recognize, encourage and support children, particularly those with barriers to learning. Fifth one, which is really, really important for me. Are the teachers in the school lifelong learners and are they happy? Is there, a, is there a focused professional development program for teachers and are they thriving? Do you see them being happy in the way they engage with you and your children? Then also, does the staff compliment? And this is an important one for me and I think one that schools that are, are wrestling with. Does the staff compliment, particularly teachers and school leaders, does that reflect the diversity of the student body? And then the last question I would ask is, what do past students and their parents say about their experience at the school? And then finally, when figuring out these all-important school choices, if you're in that space as a parent, I think particularly if your child doesn't fit into the so-called typical profile of the group, I'm learning some important things. As parents, we have to be advocates for our kids. We have to help the adults in that space better understand our children. That's our job. We mustn't just assume that they're going to do that. We also have to trust our gut if we sense that something is amiss. Um, I've learned that the hard way. Sensing that something is out of kilter and then finding out down the line that I should have done something earlier or said something or asked the right questions earlier. But then on the other side of that, I also want to say, don't always be the parent who points out the things that are amiss. Support teachers. Teaching is not easy. And I do believe that when one's child's teacher feels your support and knows that you support them, it's way easier to have difficult conversations when these might become necessary. Ultimately, as I close, I'd like to share this. Reimagining education is definitely a collective endeavor. It calls for a nuanced understanding of our ever-evolving world. And for a truly refreshed educational system, we must merge global educational trends with personal experiences. We have to ensure that each student's journey is recognized and valued. As educators, parents, and community members, I believe we need to be relentless in advocating for schools that prioritize belonging, redefine success, and continually adapt to the needs of the student. Our collective hope for the future lies in the hands of our children. What we can do and advocate for is to provide them with an education that empowers them to shape it for the better. So thanks for listening. Probably didn't deal with everything. Maybe this left you with more questions than answers, but... I do appreciate you being part of this journey. Next on Clearly Unfiltered, I answer this question from a dedicated but anonymous listener. This listener asks, in your experience, do you think it's valid for individuals with invisible illnesses to feel ashamed and keep their diagnoses a secret? What are your thoughts on the psychology behind dealing with decision, this decision, including the potential emotional challenges that arise from concealing their condition from others? I'm currently hiding behind a pseudonym on Instagram to journal about my condition. I'm not a psychologist or a mental health specialist, but I am going to share from my own experience. But until then, I want to encourage you to strive to be your most authentic self everywhere. 
I'm definitely discovering that this is the freest way to be human.